Ah, great worship as always tonight. And we've entitled this message tonight as we end Exodus, the glory of the Lord. Exodus chapter 40. Hard to believe that 39 Wednesdays ago, we started our study of the book of Exodus. This chapter divides out into three sections. And I'm primarily going to spend most of my time tonight in the last section, verses 34 through 38. But I do want to mention a couple of things in the first two sections. The first section is verses 1 through 16, and then the second section is verses 17 through 33. In the first section, God is speaking to Moses, as you see there in verse 1, and he's giving him instructions on how to literally set up the tabernacle piece by piece and what is to go first and what is to go second, the order that is to be set up in. And you see this phrase that recurs throughout the first part of this chapter, you are. You see it in verse 2, you are to set up the tabernacle. Verse 3, you are. Verse 4, you are. Verse 5, you are. Verse 6, you are. Verse 7, you are. Every step of the way, God is telling Moses, this is how I want you to set up the tabernacle. So it's the instructions of God. The second part then, verses 17 through 33, is Moses actually doing what God has instructed him to do, which obviously that's important. We can hear the instructions of God or the guidance of God or the direction of God all day, but if we don't apply it, if we don't put it into practice, if we don't do it, if we're not doers of the word, but here's only, then it's not being effective. God wants us not only to hear him, and to be able to hear him as he leads and guides and instructs us, but that we will do what he's telling us to do. And we've seen that phrase throughout these last couple chapters of Exodus, that all they did was just as the Lord had commanded. And it's also, you know, when, Mo- when Nicole was talking about more, I-, I can't help but think of Moses being such a great example for us, but no one had at this point the experience with God, the engagement with God that Moses did, the, the, the relationship with God, the fellowship with God that he had, and yet it wasn't like he just said, okay, God, you know, I, I know you so well now that I can do this on my own or I, I can take over now and I can set this up. I've got this. No, he literally had God guiding him every step of the way. He did not put one piece of furniture into that tabernacle that wasn't directed by the Lord. He didn't do one thing without the direction of the Lord. Now, another thing I want to point out in this first section is when, and this is so important, when did God want the first day of ministry to happen in the tabernacle? You see it there in verse 2. On New Year's Day. On New Year's Day was to be the first service, if you will, in the tabernacle. God, in a sense, is saying to his people, now I'm doing something new. 
Now we're entering into an even greater time of worship. I am taking you from being slaves, and now I'm training you and teaching you to be my worshiper. And God is always teaching and training his people that though he wants them to get into a rhythm of worship, that he also always wants them to be open and adaptable to the new that God has for them, to the fresh that God has for them, to the unprecedented moving of God that God has for them. And so I ask us here tonight and those of you who are watching, only we in our heart of hearts can answer that question. Are we right now in our lives open to the new that God wants to do? Are we open to the fresh that God wants to do? Are we open in our lives and in our church's life to the unprecedented things that God wants to bring into our fellowship? Because God is always about continuing to move his people and make progress. And, and up to this point, they have not yet experienced the glory of the Lord and the worship of the Lord like they're going to when the tabernacle is literally set up. So New Year's Day, it was like a dawning of a new day. And it's also a great reminder to us as, as worshipers of God that God is a God who's always about a fresh start, about, again, second chances, about making, you know, a, a new beginning with him. And so let's be encouraged by that as well. You and I never have to stay where we are. We can even say tonight, I am making a, a new beginning with God. I am having a fresh start with my God because God is always about and always open to that, you see. That's who our God is. We never have to remain where we are. It is the devil or it is our own flesh who basically says, no, you're stuck there. We're never stuck with God. God can always pull us out of the miry clay. There may be weeping for a night, but joy comes in the morning with God. God is always about that. So there's that. Now, again, a lot of this is repetitious, so I wanted to just pick out some, some key parts that that emphasize some, some different things here by, by this point in our study of Exodus. So I want you to come down to verse 9. Even after the tabernacle was set up and put in order, notice that all the items associated with it needed to be consecrated. And then down in verse 12, even after all the items were consecrated, then all of those who ministered in the tabernacle were going to have to be consecrated. So Moses hears from the Lord and take the anointing oil, verse 9, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and sanctify it. Sanctify it. Set it apart. Consecrate it to me because it's special, because it's associated with the worship of God. All its furnishings, and then it will be holy. It will be sacred. It will be sacred space where I meet with my people. The same thing is true today, folks. This is sacred space where God meets with us every week. And every part of this place is to be consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. Every chair, 
every device, everything, everything in this place, from the smallest to the largest things that this building contains, is all to be consecrated and set apart for the worship of God. Every person that comes in here as a worshiper, you and I need to realize we are to be consecrated and dedicated and set apart and realize how special an opportunity and privilege and honor we have to worship the Lord. Therefore, we are to sanctify ourselves and realize we are to be sanctified. Verse 10, then you are to anoint the altar for the burnt offering with all its utensils. You are to sanctify the altar, and it will be most holy. You must also anoint the large basin and its pedestal, and you are to sanctify it. Then bring Aaron in and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him so that he may minister as my priest. When we come to the house of the Lord as God's people, we should come as consecrated, dedicated, devoted worshipers and realize, too, that through our worship of God, God will even consecrate and dedicate and devote and, and set us apart even more and more and more and more so that we become more like him. That's why God says in the New Testament to his people through the apostle Peter, be holy for I am holy. Set yourselves apart. Realize how special you are to me, and what a special opportunity and privilege and honor you've been given, again, as finite, fragile, frail human beings to be able to be my servants and to worship me as you do. Sanctify yourselves. And Paul even tells us that the main way you and I sanctify ourselves as New Testament Christians is by cutting off any influence of evil in our lives. Paul tells Timothy, turn away from all evil. Be an honorable vessel, sanctified, fit for the master's use. The language there of Paul is that if God is going to use us, then God is going to look for those vessels, those instruments that are sanctified unto him. They are going to be his go-tos. You and I understand that. We have go-to things in our own life, things that we always go back to, whether it's utensils that we use in our house, maybe our favorite meal that we always go back to, maybe a favorite restaurant we go back to, we always go back to those things that are just right and that deliver and that we, you know, that God does the same thing with his people. God has those vessels that he wants, and he wants to use all of us. But he's only going to use and, and always continually go back to those that are sanctified, consecrated, devoted, dedicated, to the Lord. That's why I know Nicole and I have had this conversation. Others, we, as elders, we've had this conversation. 
Serving the Lord at a church like the Oasis is way more than just having skills and abilities to do things. It's about your spiritual walk with the Lord. You know, somebody can have a great talent or skill on a human level to do something, but where's their devotion and dedication to the Lord? I'd rather have a hundred servants at the Oasis whose heart loves God with all their heart, and maybe they lack a little skill or ability or something. I'll take them any day. Because that's what God's looking for. In fact, speaking of that, one of the reasons why God emphasizes this is worship, we must remember, is the meeting of the supernatural with the natural. It is the meeting of the creator with his creation. There's nothing else like that in the universe where they come together like that, you see. And as Nicole pointed out, where God inhabits the praises of his people and where literally two worlds are coming together, heaven and earth are meeting at that point. It's incredible. Verse 17, the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the month in the second year when Moses set up the tabernacle. Now, again, this section talks about how Moses is setting everything up. I don't believe that Moses literally was the only person doing all of the work. But what it is showing is he was the mediator. He was a flesh and blood representation and representative of God and for God. God's looking for Moses's today, men and women who will be his mediators. Yes, we engage with God, but God understands as human beings, we need flesh and blood representations and representatives before our eyeballs. That's why Paul said the phrase, follow me as I follow Christ. That's why we are told not only to follow Christ, but also to follow good examples in our fellowship and to find those examples. That's why the Bible says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. You become who you hang with. So God is saying, find the people who are going after me, and you make them your holy huddle. And then you'll be iron sharpening iron. So Moses set it all up. And you come down to verse 33. He set up the courtyard around the tabernacle. The altar put the curtain at the gate of the courtyard. And Moses finished or completed the work. And we talked about how important it is that we learn to finish the things that God asks to do, not just begin them. Oh, but then I want to get to verse 34 through 38 because we sung about the glory of the Lord, and, and I can't even imagine what this was like for the people of God to see literally the invisible God manifesting himself in a visible way and literally this cloud falling down upon the tabernacle. And I want you to see tonight in the description of the glory cloud that everything 
the glory cloud did for the people of God is everything the glory of the Lord does for us today through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. So that's how I want us to practically apply this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord, first of all, covered the tabernacle. We must realize as God's people that God covers us. He envelops us. He surrounds us. And this is a word that was used for one who is being protected. You and I need to be encouraged by the fact that the glory of God protects us. We are protected by God every moment of our lives, and he envelops and surrounds his people, and therefore nothing gets into us or touches our lives or any part of us without at first passing through God. That's why we have to learn to trust him completely because we understand that there are things that our God allows us to experience and that passes through him and gets to us that we go, God, why did you allow that to touch me? Why, why did you allow that to hit me? And again, sometimes we are called to follow a God we won't understand, but there's so much, though, about the covering and the surrounding and the enveloping and the protecting of God that does prevent so much from happening to us that we don't even realize. I believe that one of the things God is going to show us when we get to heaven is all the things throughout our life that we were protected from through him, and we didn't even realize it. Because he is a second-by-second, millisecond protector of us and everyone around us. And oh, if we truly believed that, then we could rest and we could leave our anxiety and our fears at the door and know that God's got us at all times. And as Psalm 127 says, the one who protects Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always fully awake and engaged in his creation. He never takes his eye off of his people. I want you to know tonight that just as the glory covered the tabernacle, God covers you. And you are covered until the day you see Jesus. Second, the glory not only covered, so by the way, I highlighted the word covered. Notice that the glory of the Lord next filled. I highlighted the word filled because that's exactly what God does to us as well because now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And this verb filled here in the Hebrew reflects a dynamic, ongoing situation. It's not like God 
fills us and then just sort of leaves us run out. God wants to continually fill us. That's why, again, I love to use the illustration, though it's very simplistic, of the, the cup that has the bottom cut out of it. And instead of looking at your life as a Christian, as a cup that has a bottom and it's right and it's sat up and you, and you fill it up, but eventually when it's poured out, then it's empty or it begins to deplete, that, that our lives should look more like a cup that's turned on its side and has the bottom cut out of it. And God is just literally flowing through us, filling us all the time. And we're living our lives with that continual filling of God that we never have to feel unfilled because through his Holy Spirit, we can be filled up with God every day and be full of God. Because when the glory of the Lord, when the glory cloud filled that tabernacle, there was not a single little space in that tabernacle that was not permeated by God, his presence. And God wants to do the same thing in our being. He wants to permeate his people so that no area of our life is untouched by his presence, his power, his provision, his protection. He wants to fill us up in every respect, just as he did the tabernacle. In fact, you'll notice something here incredible in verse 35, especially when you think about the history of Moses with the glory cloud of God. Remember, this is the man that walked into the glory cloud of God on the mountain and spent 40 days and 40 nights inside that glory. And yet here, when the glory fell on the tabernacle that day, even Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because of the glory of God. The word glory in the Hebrew literally means weight. And it's as if the, the weight of God, if you will, was so heavy that even Moses couldn't, couldn't stand in his human form to be able to engage with it. Think about it. That's how much God backs off so that you and I can engage with him. That's how much he condescends and sort of measures how much he, he pours himself out because we couldn't take it. The closest thing I can come up with is, is the sun. Think of it. It's pretty hot right now, right? And yet our sun is just one little star in God's universe. It's not the biggest star. It's not the greatest star. It's not the hottest star. But my goodness, you and I, we, we, if we started to get so close to that, first of all, the brightness of it, we couldn't take it, and the heat of it, we, we would just back off. That, that's the only thing that I can come up with of, of what they were experiencing here, that the glory, the majesty, the splendor of God was so great that Moses couldn't even take it. It was so thick. You know what? As we sung about, I'm still asking God, you show me that kind of glory. You let your glory fall on the oasis and let us deal with it. Because I want to see more of my God. I want to see more of him. I want to see him work more and move more. 
So we have him covering the tabernacle with his glory. We have him filling the tabernacle with his glory. And then notice the next thing, settled. The cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God will cover you, God will fill you, and God wants to settle on you. Settle into you. He wants you to understand. He wants to make his home and, and have you feel at home with him, being at home in you. He wants you to know that he will remain there, that he will abide there, that he's not moving, he's not leaving, but he wants you to feel at home and more and more at home with him and his presence. To be comfortable in a good way not in a complacent way. He wants to settle down. Are we allowing the Lord to continually be more and more settled in our life? And, and here's how we know. How do we know when we're allowing God to be more settled in our being? When we're settled. If you're an unsettled Christian, that means we haven't allowed God to quite get settled into us. And the more we allow him to settle into us, the more settled we will be. And then verse 36, the next thing the glory does is move. When the cloud was lifted up, verse 36, from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on all their journeys. If the cloud was not lifted up, they would not journey further until the day it was lifted up. In other words, when God moved, the people of God moved. When God didn't move, the people didn't move. God wants us to get like that with him. When he tells us to move, we move. If he hasn't told us to move, then we don't move. We stay right where we're at, even if it's an uncomfortable place. We're going to talk about that next week in the first chapter of Acts. God tells his people, wait in Jerusalem. Are you kidding me, God? We are your followers. We want to get out of Jerusalem. We want to hightail it out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a place where they just crucified Jesus. We don't want to wait. wait in Jerusalem. Sometimes God wants us just to be still and know that he is God no matter what the circumstance. And to be settled because we've allowed him to settle into us. And God wants us to be like the nation of Israel. When he moved, we moved. But if he doesn't move, we don't move an inch. We only move when God directs us to move. And the glory cloud of God would be their guidance. God was always guiding his people. A couple other things. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, but fire would be on it at night. I don't believe these were two different or distinct things. I think it was one and the same. It appeared as a cloud by day and fire by night. It was all the glory of the Lord. 
But then I want you to notice the next three words. In plain view of all the house of Israel. In other words, God positioned himself in such a way that every Israelite could see him. See his visible manifestation of his presence. And and these words in plain view speak about what their eyes should continually be beholding. God is saying, I want you to keep your eyes on me. And I will position myself in such a way in your life to where everyone can see me. Let's translate that to us. God is manifesting himself in your life and my life. God is positioning himself in such a way individually in our lives so that we could see him if we truly want to. And we need to ask him, God, help me to see you. That's coming as well in a message coming up. But God is also doing the same thing in our church. He is positioning himself in such a way in our church that everyone who comes here could see him if they really wanted to and behold him. And we become like what we behold. And we, God wants us to be enamored and captivated by his presence and learning when his presence is here and in a sense feeling him, knowing that we are experiencing the tangible presence of God. And yes, through our spiritual eyes, seeing him, and through our spiritual ears, hearing him. And God will always position himself with his people to where he is in plain view. It's not that God can't be seen or heard. or It's that the people really don't want to see him or hear him. Because God is a God who won't hide. God is a God who always does it right there in plain view. And then one final thing. And what better way to end our study of the book of Exodus or this study of the tabernacle than with this last phrase that really speaks to the faithfulness of God. Because his glory would guide them His glory would always be in plain view of all of them, and he would be with them throughout all their journeys. The presence of God was with Israel the entire 40 years. And remember, these people had been disobedient and unbelievers. They weren't willing to trust God and go into the promised land. They said, the giants are too big there. We can't do it. And yet God was faithful to his people and his promises, even though they weren't always faithful to him, because that's who our God is. And so the last thing Moses really emphasizes is the faithfulness of God. And you and I need to hear that tonight. God will always be faithful to us, my friend. Always, always be true to his word. Always keep all of his promises. We may not, but God always will. And we can trust him. I want to leave you with words then, in closing, actually from the prophet Isaiah, because it comes full circle to what I said before our worship tonight. That somehow we've got to reconcile in our minds and our hearts that God is beyond great 
and yet meets us right where we are. So I want you to hear this verse from the prophet Isaiah tonight, Isaiah 57, verse 15. It's one of my favorite verses from the prophet. Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, the one who rules forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in an exalted and holy place, but I also dwell with the discouraged and the depressed in order to cheer up the depressed and to encourage the discouraged. What a God. No one higher and yet willing to come down and meet us right where we are in our discouragement, in our depression, in whatever we're dealing with, the God who is above all comes down and meets us where we are. Think about that even the next time you hear the phrase, the tent of meeting. The transcendent God of the universe was willing to come down and live in a tent for 40 years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the experience of your presence tonight in your sacred space. Thank you, God, for pouring out your spirit. And God, we ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit in our lives and in our church's life. We want more of you, God. And we know it is your desire to abundantly grant your spirit to your people to not just give us a trickle of the Spirit or just a little of the Spirit, but literally to pour out your Spirit like we're standing under a, a waterfall. And God, I pray that that would be our desire, that we do want more of you, God, and that our heart's desire is to, to say to you, God, show us your glory. We, we want to see you in, in a new way, in a greater way, God. We want to experience you in a deeper way, in a more profound way, God, in our lives. God, thank you for the encouragement that our study of Exodus has been. But God, as we lay that now study aside, would you build inside of us an expectation and anticipation for this new series in the wonderful book of Acts. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, real quick, if I could share this with you. One thing about our study beginning next week in Acts. Jesus' ministry did not end when he ascended to heaven. Jesus' ministry continued. He said, I will build my church. And the book of Acts is all about the ministry of Jesus continuing. When he went back to heaven, he's still ministering. And folks, you and I are the continuing ministry of Jesus. His ministry is continuing. So Acts is such a great book. In fact, I, I truly believe that you can't, you can't truly understand the rest of the New Testament if you don't understand what's taken place in the book of Acts. So I hope you'll join me. Maybe invite somebody to come with you next week and join you for this 28-week study in the book of Acts. Thanks so much for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.